Many churches have youth groups, but are they a good way to build the kingdom of God? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. A lot of things that were originally intended to reach people outside the church then get brought into the church. For instance, in the 40s, people went, oh, there's all these people in high school that are abandoning the church when they leave high school. So, or not even abandoning the church, they're never reached in the first place. And more and more becoming unchurched is what the problem was in the in the 50s and the 60s, or the 40s, the 50s and the 60s. And so there were all these groups that started up that would basically try to create youth groups so that they would reach the people in, in the high schools, essentially. And then, of course, the churches went, well, you know, if, if that's good for the people in the high school, what about our own youth? And soon it was adopted in churches, and they started to do youth groups in churches. And then the churches found out, hey, if we have things to entertain the youth, that the whole families will come because guess what? The parents are having problems with their teenage boys in particular. And so pretty soon, all kinds of churches adopted youth groups. And, and, yeah, there's been serious problems with youth groups. They show that they don't have much impact. But is there a way to use youth groups in a way that's, that's a benefit for the church instead of just a curse? So as we walk through this, we're going to look at some of the biblical arguments for how you ought to think about youth groups. But there's a really practical thing that that a practical struggle that anybody who wants to entertain the idea of a youth group has got to deal with. If the goal of having a youth group is to integrate youth into the life of the church, then you've put yourself, structurally speaking, in a difficult position by bringing the youth into the church and immediately segregating them. And then you leave yourself with this bridge at some point when those children graduate out of youth group. Usually it's the time they go away to college of trying to keep them in the church when all along you've been saying, oh, you're not quite part of the real church. Now, nobody intends that. Nobody is saying, oh, you're not part of the real church. But practically speaking, we're appealing to them at very different levels than fully integrating them in church life. We've been giving them their own sorts of activities to participate in, often uh, in parallel to the normal activities of the church. And because of that, you you know, they're... They are treated separately, and then they go away to college, and they don't stick around in the church. Right, and then they, they, you know, after the end of youth group, they create college and career because the youth don't want to integrate into the church. They want to remain separate and distinct, so then they still have their same games and stuff. They just do it where they're, where they're older than they were when they were in high school. And actually, I actually really appreciate the way you asked the question and the way you answered it because 25 years ago, there was a real – I don't know if that's the right time frame, but there was a real negative reaction to youth groups in the church. I mean, there was the point where youth groups had gotten to the point where they were sort of a almost a parody of themselves. And it had just, you know, and 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 so there was a real negative backlash. And and so there are, I mean, and, and even at the same time, I mean, I grew up in in fairly conservative churches, but different types of churches, and they all had different types of youth groups. And there were very different forms of it in different churches. And I think it's really easy to go, well, I have we have we fixed the problem of youth group. We've addressed the problem of youth groups. And I think the way you're asking it is really is don't go, are we the bad youth group? Are we the but youth group has a problem. It has a fundamental problem at its core and it's and it's ginned up by real problems in the church that need to be solved. 
And even if you have what you would consider to be an exemplary youth group compared to if you pulled every youth group from all the churches in America, there's a fundamental problem there that's going on. And it's in, and it really is at the heart of the church as to what the church is going to do, where it's going to go, how it's raising people, how it's thinking about people, how you're thinking about the, the work. And so you really should examine it. And so if you're sitting there going, I don't need to think about this. If you have a youth ministry, if you have any of this division within the church, you really should seriously consider it because it's something that pushes against things that are fundamental to, to scriptural teaching. And when we think about youth groups, I mean, the the only youth group that I can think of in the Bible is in Second Kings 2 where there's a group of 42 youth that makes fun of Elisha and then God sends two bears and kills them all. Um, so when you start to say, well, what should you have with youth group, you should start there to go, there's not many biblical examples. So what you have to do is if you're going to do it, say, what are we doing that's biblical with it rather than just saying, let's, let's get the youth together because they want to get together. Right. You know, cause I mean, the term youth group is pretty broad. It's a, you know, if you take it literally, it's a group of young people and, you know, of course you could have good versions and other versions, but it's not just any group of young people. It's a, it's a whole pattern of, of doing things in the church in a certain way. And I think that, you know, when you look at what historically, why youth groups came into the church, they came into the church because they went, the youth don't like church. So let's do something fun so that, that they can then hear about church things, right? Because it's all attraction from believers. I mean, it's kind of like what Spurgeon said about Sunday school. Obviously, Sunday school is good, but it's no, no Christian would send their children there. And that's exactly what we did with Sunday school is all of a sudden it's the children of alleged believers that are going there. And that's what we do with youth group, exactly the same thing. Where Some people might not be familiar with that quote. <laughs> I mean, I, my guess is a it. lot it's, of people that's are That's a familiar. paraphrase, to be fair, but that is, but that I mean, is but, what but Spurgeon said. I mean, that, you know, I mean, and that would really be shocking to people, I think, in one sense, that there would be this idea that that, that was so normative that sh- that Spurgeon could say something along those lines. Right, that, and before that, you go back, and and before that, you know, the, the Orthodox pastors were saying, of course Sunday school is evil. You go back, you know, 80 years before Spurgeon said that. And so that's how much the church had shifted that Spurgeon's going, well, it's not evil. It's just, you know, and now we go, well, Sunday school works so well, which is very, very, very debatable. And so let's do the same thing targeting youth, which is basically what happened, is that Sunday school was started in order to reach basically people that didn't have parents, mostly orphans or or those who were abandoned in the streets in in England in – you know, Robert Rakes and and people that were on church. Now all of a sudden we look at it as this program for the church. That's the same thing that happened for youth groups is it was for people that were unchurched. And then the church goes, well, let's let's hand off our responsibility to them just like you know, just like they did with Sunday school. I mean there's a part of it where when you when you start thinking about it, I mean one of the reasons why youth group has become popular and even why Sunday school, but definitely youth group is is because the church has become more worldly. You know, I mean, there's a worldly aspect within the church, and there's this part of it where the church, the church doesn't, the church doesn't set as strong of a barrier between worldliness within itself. And so, when you've got young people, when they get to this age, you've got this age where you have the greatest period of of physical desire in your life, the greatest period of where you have more energy than you have at other times in your life, 
And there's this period of time where you're really supposed to learn discipline, where you're where the point of this time period is to learn these disciplines, because when you can learn them within this time period, you can go forth into life and you can actually use your strength in ways that is incredibly useful. You can actually become productive. You can do all these things. But because the church has set worldliness out there and the church is saying, you know, oh, you know, but you don't go too far, but don't go. And, and, and everything about youth is go as far as you can. You know, put, and so there's this part of it where, in the end, I mean, this is really part of the lure that's going on is, is within the church, worldliness is rampant. And people are literally just asking the question, how do we deal with people in this time period? And they don't really even think about the fact of what else is going on. And I think there was a very conscious decision when they were doing this, and which is the church isn't worldly enough to keep the youth. So we have to create a transition period where the worldliness is used to attract them and then somehow we'll transition them into the church. I mean, that was basically the idea, is the youth group would be more worldly so that the, the world would be attracted to it, right? I mean, it's the youth group, seeker-sensitive movement, same concept, right? Right? Is you, you put something out there that's not churchy because the church, you're saying the church is worldly, but it's not worldly enough for right. 13-year-old unbelievers, and so you make it more worldly because the church doesn't really have a problem with worldliness, even though it hasn't embraced worldliness, and then it uses that to attract people, thinking that somehow that will cause them to come to salvation. It's sort of like Baptist Rumspringa. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, I what have I mean? no you know, idea what Rumspringa is. Oh, it's the Amish thing of when the kid gets to the certain age, you let them. Oh, go bundling. Out the, oh no, that. Oh, yeah, that you let them go out into the world and experience the world, and they go out and then they come back in. I mean, but it's sort of like it's how it's how. Baptists have decided to deal with with that issue and and within their culture. I mean, it's just a, I mean, it's not just Baptists. It's broader than that. But I'm just saying, for growing up with, I mean, it's really interesting when you think about it. It's it's literally something that everybody deals with in a way. How do you actually handle it? And do you actually? And the Amish don't go to scripture. I mean, they don't know. They don't. They just basically go. It will damage the the continuity of our community if we allow the youth in there so let's put them off to the side which is some of the same thing that churches are doing right. I mean, it's it's i mean for them it's an expression of a hyper arminian view right. of you've got to make a decision in order to make an informed decision you have to taste everything out there and then you can come back and right. we'll be convinced that you've right. really chosen and the baptists don't do that but they just or, you know i should say the evangelical church the modern church they don't do that but they do go you what, you know, if if you don't let them, if you don't let them do anything, they're just they're going to just turn away and leave. And if you do, you know, what I mean, it's it's not dealing with sin. It's not dealing with the actual nature of these things. It's not dealing with how I mean, whether you're asking whether your children are actually believers. You know, what I mean, it's like can I, can I just keep them? Can I can I maintain my relationship with them? You know, what I mean, it's just a whole complex set of things like that. Throughout all, I mean, you've been talking about worldliness, but there's a particular way that it's manifested that sort of sneaks in and and. And we've been talking about it underneath all of this, but really it's the way that you think about what the nature of the church itself is. If you think the nature of the church is the sort of thing that needs to be attractive to unbelievers, then you're going to devise methods to mm-hmm. attract unbelievers in. And this sort of this form of youth group that we're talking about is just one of those methodologies. I see unbelievers out there. Let me do something to get them in because that's what the church is here for. We need to be attracting the unbelievers. If you think the church is something different, if you don't think that the church is something that is supposed to be 
appealing to consumers in that sense. If you think that the church is about the glory of God, then you're going to go about a different way of dealing with youth, of thinking about youth, or, or even trying to attract them. You just think about it fundamentally differently. I think fundamentally we have lost the meaning of the word gospel because we don't think it's good news. And so because we don't think it's good news, when we preach it to the youth group, we say, well, yeah, we'll also give you pizza. We don't think it's good news by itself. But, well, no, we actually think that you you come to this time to hang out with your friends and to, to eat pizza and to watch a movie, and, yeah, you have to listen to the youth pastor talk for 15 minutes. We, and we, so I think it's much – I mean, I think most people it's more just like, you know, in the – you know, it's this idea that you need something to help you swallow the medicine we don't th- because you can't stand the medicine of the gospel. We don't think that somebody will find the gospel to be good news. We don't I, think it will appeal to them as good news. So, you know, we attract them with pizza and basketball, too. And, and there's a part of it where we already think that this, if you already think that's what the church is, if grown-up church is the wine club and you don't think children have mature enough taste yet, then it's really just – I mean, this is part of it is because there's even a part of where if you're sitting there going, we're not doing youth group to attract unbelievers. We're just doing it to keep the ones we have. We're just doing it to keep – I mean, and I mean – They kind of shifted, yeah, that a lot of think that they're doing that. Because right, you, you kind of have the two groups. You could either be trying to get, you know, unbeliever, professed unbelievers from outside, or you should be – or you could be uh, – you know, trying to keep or put, you know, and ideally, you know, edify believing youth from whose parents are going to church. And I think originally when it started, the idea was to bring people in from outside. But as it shifted, now it's it's to to deal with these children that a lot of them made a profession of faith while they were younger. But yet they start to hit a certain age where puberty kicks in and they're not acting that same way. They're not acting like they have faith. And so it's somehow to to maintain them so they keep their interest and keep going to church. Until they I mean, settle down. A, until right. they settle down. And the idea is basically, you know, if you can just, you know, give them enough video games and this, that, and the other, you know, they'll kind of get into a habit of coming to church and they won't fall away because you've – you know, just enough, you know, attraction to wor- of worldliness to keep them engaged until they kind of like, well, you know, I've been going to church for 20 years. Might as well do it for the next 60. You know, I mean, that's kind of the – and not the idea that there's actually a conversion. There's actually a new birth where there is that desire to uh, for the things of God that will keep them in church because they want to be there and because they want the things that church is supposed to be about. And they, they don't need – you know, attraction by, you know, slip a little, little, uh, you know, exciting worldliness in to make it more palatable. And I think that, you know, it's a lot of it is parents who want to believe their children are saved because they made a profession of faith, even though all their behavior indicates they're not. And they don't want to face that. And so they just go, well, it's because they don't have pizza and basketball. And so that that will somehow solve it. And the problem is, is that, you know, it says it in First John 2.15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you, The only way you can keep them is by giving them the world that they want. And, yes, it's a truncated world. Yes, it's not as, you know, full out there as everything else. Then the issue is, is you're supposed to be going, why do you think you're saved? If what you want is the world rather than the word of God – rather than the things of God, then why do you think you're saved? But instead we go, well, they'll go through this transition and develop a ha- habit like 
like Josh was saying, right. develop a habit that will keep them in church. And, and now you you want a church full of people who are going there based on habit. But is that's, that what we're going? For? And that's what I'm saying. Is that's, that's, why, that's to your point that that's why you're saying the church is filled with worldliness is because the parents the parents typically don't see a problem with that because that's why they're there. Right. My my grandmother took me to church, so I still go to church. They're not there because they're going. I believe in God, and I'm and I'm not saying there aren't any, and I'm not saying there aren't people in youth group. There are. But the structure is being set up to keep people in church that that don't really have that much interest in the things of God. And, and that's why, I mean, I think it's really important to do this because there's – to frame it this way because in the end, this is all – it's just – it's shades of seeker-sensitive. You can go, we're not, we're not the far out there seeker-sensitive who's just trying to make everybody feel comfortable. But the question is, is to what degree is your church already made up of unbelievers – a certain percentage of unbelievers, and you and they're comfortable there, and you've made them comfortable there, and you're just hoping you can hold on to some percentage of the teens until the normative things of the world make them be comfortable. You know, everybody talks about you get you get married, and all of a sudden you become your father, and and that's what causes you know all of a sudden now you're you're concerned with bigger things, and you're and and then you form this relationship with people at church, and they help you navigate the difficulties of the world because that's harder than it is here, and you you start to get some wisdom, and you go, this is really useful, this is good, I can see the value of the church, I can see the goodness of the church, this is good, and and there are some people going, that is Christianity, and I would argue that not some people, I would say the majority of the people who profess to be Christians in the U.S. by a large percentage that is Christianity. Well, most of those probably don't even go to church. Well, like the, the ones that actually go to church, even. But I'm saying, you know, that's the Methodist Church, that's the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, these large churches in the United States, that is even, they don't even make any bones about it. That is what their focus is, and that is what their direction is, is to be a social club to solve those kind of problems. And so there's a part of it where when you start to push back against this thought, it doesn't just affect your view of youth. It starts to affect your view of yourself. It starts to affect your view of those around you. It starts to affect your view of what the church is and what the church should be. And because in the end, if the whole point of it is is to mature believers and make people who are not believers realize that they're not believers, to help them come to that understanding that they have not been changed from a slave of sin to a slave of righteousness and that they shouldn't pretend as if they have been, that's that's a different thing entirely. And I just see that, you know, you look at youth groups and I've the ones that I know of, and they haven't been like horrible. I know some of the people that have taught them that were faithful. I've taught one before. I'm not sure how I wasn't that good because <laughs> I didn't play any of the games. So none of the youth wanted to. They wanted to get rid of me. Let's put it that way. But that's I'll kind of an aside. Here, have a piece of pizza. <laughs> it's not supposed to we'll be We'll do frozen. a Bible study for an hour. <laughs> pizza, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, they had ski trips and they have, you know, and, you know, my favorite is the mission trip where they think, oh, we're doing this great work for God. Because you go to some island in the Caribbean and you know build something and with all your friends for a week, and or for think, a couple of days, and then or for a you couple go to the days beach for the go, rest of the yeah, week. <laughs> you all because after that hard work that you could have paid somebody there a fraction of the amount of money that was spent to bring the youth there. The youth aren't washing cars because they want to help the people in Haiti or whatever. They're washing cars because they want to go on an exciting trip. 
And so you're telling them that this is the work of God when it really has nothing to do with the work of God. The people in Haiti could easily hire people to do whatever any youth in America could do, basically, for a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper than the flight down there. But yet they go, oh, this is, this is, this is the work of God. I'm sorry, that's not the work of God. That's, that's a worldliness that has a veneer of Christianity so that it looks like, oh, I'm doing these big holy things, these important things for God, when I'm really just trying to satisfy my own lusts. And the church is selling it that they're doing the work of God when it's really they're going, I get to go someplace new and exciting. And along the way, you may very well have a – it's a good way to manufacture a spiritual experience as well. Yes. You know what I mean? And there's this part of it where, I mean, if, you know, you go – I mean, hey, doing a hard day's work – do I mean, if you go and you actually work all day and you do something and then you sit down at the end of – I mean, you're in a much better – and you're in a, you're in a different country where things seem more profound – same thing. Things seem more. They're they're already different. They're already unique. They're, I mean, so you pile all those things together, and you can have an experience there that will keep you with the church for ten years. You know what I mean, or at least two or three. You know what I mean. And so there's this part of it where, and you were, you know, and and all those things get built around. I mean, I remember going to camp for years. You would have summer camp, and the point of summer camp was to manufacture spiritual experiences. Right. It was to, you know, take you take them out on a Friday night underneath the stars, and it's a beautiful night, and you have the thing. And set back. I mean, I remember being there and having a counselor, and I, and I knew it was one of these things where you knew what they were doing, where the guy, he had had a really good experience one time, and you hear him, and he goes, and he shouts, look at the stars! And, and you know, and everything, like, lean back and look up at the heavens and look up at them. And do you understand? You see and the you, glory, the majesty of God. And, 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 I, and I remember, like, and I remember, like, I was at this point where my dad would go and he would speak at some of these places. And I would get to kind of hang out with, I'd get, you'd hang out with the campers at that, you were at the older age of being, the, and then you could hang out with the counselors afterwards. And I remember after that night, they were talking about it. And he's like, yeah, because when he said, look at the stars, somebody giggled. And that, and that just ruined, ruined it. the mood. And it did. I mean, you know what I mean? And you and you know exactly. And all of a sudden, and we go back afterwards, and he's like, yeah, I would have killed that kid that giggled. You know what I mean? He's like, he goes, that's, it was so effective. It's worked so many times. It's been so useful so many times. And I mean, and I'm not even, he had been taught to do this this way. He had been shown that this was a useful thing. And there were kids who they went out there, they looked at the stars, and they had this, God is greater than all of us. And it has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with your sin. It has nothing to do with any of these things. Right. And and so, you know, and it's you're using a psychological trick to manufacture an experience. Right. Because that's why the giggle ruins it. Because if you're at a funeral where you're really sad and, you know, you hear a giggle, it doesn't ruin your sadness. Right. It's you're not mourning over like, your oh, sin. My mourning, my mourning for this, my, you know, my relative's death is over. Someone giggled. Like, this, that's not how it works. I don't think we see the seriousness of this. When Paul writes in Romans 2 about basically God will render to each one according to his deeds, he says in verses 8 and 9, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. When they go, you're going to have this spiritual experience. They're teaching them to be self-seeking. They're not teaching them to serve. They're not teaching them to serve God. They're not teaching them to be living sacrifices. They're teaching them to be self-seeking. And self-seeking people end up in hell. That's what Paul says. If you're self-seeking, you get the wrath of God. And and so we look at these things and say, oh, but they've come away with the spiritual experience. No, what you've actually done is like 
giving them a prod to hell instead of actually calling them to repentance and salvation. And so when they do things like that, it can seem so innocent because, hey, you're getting them to think about spiritual things. No, you're not. You're getting them to have an experience so that they feel like, ooh, look at what I've done. Look at what I've experienced. Look at what I've felt. Look at look at what I've seen. And it's about them, 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 which is not about God. And the answer is not you want to drive them off. Right. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm, I'm more kind of answering. I'm answering the sort of objection that if you're following along, there's this part of it where you're going. So what you're saying is is – you you know you're trying to hold on to people. You're trying to keep them there. That part of the church is to help people understand, to show people that their need for the gospel, that what the gospel is, what it act, the proposition that it is that you are condemned under your sin, that you're a slave to sin, and that the gospel is making you a slave to righteousness. But the answer isn't. Your goal is therefore you want to try to drive them away. That is not that is not what we're pushing here. Right, but. But should we expect them to leave a number? Absolutely. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and there are few who find it. We should not be going, we're going to save all the youth any more than we should say we're going to save all the 50-year-olds or we're going to save all the 12-year-olds or 2-year-olds. No, that's not how it works. That's not the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is you declare it, and those who got elected will, will be saved. And it's not that you know someone's... You know, a, a young person, you know, stops coming to church and like, well, okay, they're gone. They're gone. No, you know, no, you, know, you, go, you, go, you know, try to talk to them. You, you, you know, confront them in the sin of rejecting the gospel, of rejecting the church that God has given. And, so, you know, so it's not that there's some sort of like, well, you know, we're going to lose some. No, you know, let's just let them go. I mean, that's not the point at all. But the point is that you can't keep them by building up this facade of attractive stuff that looks attractive to keep them there, and that's going to do them any good. And so the first point about you know, one of the big problems with youth groups is that it's replacing parents. If you actually want the children to hear, they can leave your youth group, but they can't leave their parents' house. So God has a better plan than your youth group, a more consistent plan for teaching, a more consistent plan for them for their discipleship, a more consistent plan to call them to repentance, a co- more consistent plan for them to hear the gospel. And one of the really damaging things that the youth group does is they make it all about you coming to this youth group at church. Well, that's really not your job. God gave it to someone else. Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Where they're supposed to learn these things is from their father. In a lot of the episodes that we do, one of the things that we talk about over and over is that the issues that go on in the world, when you get to abortion, the issue with abortion is we don't want to deal with the difficult problem. So we say, if you just, the world goes, well, you can just kill the baby. That's the easiest solution. And the church, when you say the parents should be teaching the children, the church does what it's been doing for years. They go, that's a hard problem to solve. But they won't. Right, they won't teach them. Parents won't do that. We have to. You know how much work it takes to get parents to teach their children, and so in the end, the church is no different than the abortion industry in a real way. What we're saying is, is we do not want to do what God has called us to do, and in fact, our result is to turn around and curse a generation of children. And you, cur- I mean, what is the thing? Is that God will turn the hearts of the parents, fathers toward the children? I mean, this. I mean, and we, the church goes, let us help you on your way of the father not turning the heart toward his children. 
I mean, if the church said our goal is going to be proclaiming the fact that if you are a Christian, you will teach your children, that would be a fine ministry of a church. I mean, and it's worth putting it in these in these terms. What we have to understand is that the church is saying it is fine for the the adult members of the church to have spiritual abortions of their children. Because if you don't train them in the things of God, that's you've done the same thing spiritually that the abortionist does physically. Right. And which one's more important, actually? The spiritual, not the physical. And this is why we're saying it's the heart of your church, because in the end, the decisions you're making are saying when, the, when, the, when those teenagers do go up to the big church— those teenagers, if they ever do. Right. The ones don't. who do. What big church are they becoming a part of? What is that church? That church that goes, this is what we're going to do. This is our attitude about – because when the they come The church in, that has the basketball team now and the church that has the softball team and the church that has the pizza party, and the, which right. a lot of churches have all those same things because that's what attracts the youth and that's what attracts their parents – Instead of going, if you don't want to train your children in the things of God, what makes you think you know God? What makes you think you know God, that you fear God if you go, ah, but let my children just go to hell. Who cares? I mean, it's a testimony of having no fear of God. I mean, it's shocking to people, but it used to be very, very standard in church covenants that if you didn't train your children, you were to be excommunicated because it's such an obvious statement that you have to train your children if you don't want to train your children God said to Abraham, here's why – I don't think he says it directly to him, but he says, so that he will train his children after him. That's why he saves Abraham. And then we turn around and we go, we're sons of Abraham, but we don't train our children. Well, no, that's an excommunicable offense. And so what the church ends up doing is what it's not supposed to do, which is usurp the role of the father, and it fails to do what it is supposed to do, which is to prepare the father. Ephesians four eleven through 13, and he gave – he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The church is supposed to be preparing the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry for every father, every mother is to train their children. That's what the church is supposed to be preparing them for. Not not have having basketball games and pizza parties. What the church is supposed to be doing is training the people in the pews to teach their children. One of many things, but that's a basic ministry for every parent. If in some alternate universe youth groups were were structured along the lines of, hey, actually what we have here, we have saints who are future evangelists, future pastors, future teachers. And what we're going to do is sit around and read the collected works of John Owen. We wouldn't be having this kind of discussion because you would But I would still suggest that the parents should be there because they need to know the collected works uh, of John Owen too. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, there could be a time when the church says, okay, yeah, it makes sense to address this specific group in this specific age for some reason. Sure. To systematically do that, though, because you're trying to appeal to unbelievers, because you're trying to hang on to people that you may not even be calling them unbelievers, but effectively you're treating them that way, that's problematic. And when you talk about parents, I mean, 
you said something pretty shocking about how parents are, are doing these spiritual abortions. And, you know, I said something shocking, <laughs> I know, but, but you think about the parent who's in that position and I would guess most of them aren't actually thinking that there's this, sure they there's this mutual collusion between the church and the parent that we've just sort of all slouched into a lot of it, not really intentionally of, oh, okay, it's really hard to train my children. The church is willing to do that for me. Fine. I'll let them do that. And, and so that's sort of, but don't you think that, I mean, I don't think we should let people get off that easily because the reality is they're thinking that exactly the same way that a woman walks into the abortion clinic and says, get rid of this clump of cells. I'm not, I'm not saying let no, them get off I easily on that. But I'm just saying that even the reasoning parallels, right? They go, this isn't my job. This isn't why should I spend I, – I don't have the resources to take care of this child, so I'm going to abort the child. I have a career. The I'm, parent says – I can't teach the child. I'm not spiritual enough. The church should do it. It's like all the language even parallels between the two types of abortions. So there, in some sense, I want to say it would be more appropriate if it's like this parent saying, okay, you know what? can't deal with the child. Let me give them up for adoption. Let me give them over to the foster system it is, is effectively, I think, closer to what they're saying. They're not saying, oh, let me give them over to hell. They're saying, let me give them over to a system that can handle them. In a way that, you know, I mean, hey, there's professionals there. There's professional child raisers there. So Maybe. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I'm not saying that that's better. No, no, no. I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that I'm not even sure that I think the reason that when youth groups started that they brought it into the churches and then churches went away, guess what? This, this parent has problems with their 14-year-old boy, so they bring the whole family. Hey, we should amp up our youth group. And the parents, I don't think the parents actually, well, they could be, it's like the clump of cell. They could go, oh, yeah, they're being trained spiritually, when they know they're not, if they think about it, right? I mean, it's not really. <laughs> I, 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 it's I, like adopting somebody that's going to put them to death. Yeah, and there's a sense in which you could say that the whole family integrated church movement actually commits some of those same errors because a lot of the attraction that people have for going to say a family integrated church which which ours is you know mm-hmm. uh, but one of the attractions is you get children of a certain age and then you start having problems with the children and you go around and you start looking for a church that says oh we know how to deal with children and and it's it can be a different species of the same problem if what you do is you bring people in and go, the only purpose of the church here is to teach you how to deal with your children. Exactly. If, if that's the answer, is like I said, the church becomes this happy place where you But the can, church can also do it the other way, right? The church can say, you come here because you haven't been taught, you haven't been equipped for the work of the ministry. You come here, and what we're going to do is we're not going to train your children. That's your job, but we're going to work to equip you for the work of the ministry. It seems to me that, that that's what the church is supposed to do. Sure. If, as long as it keeps in that wheelhouse, it's good. If by we're not going to train your children, you mean that there's not a structure at the top with, a say, a dedicated youth ministry pastor. If that's what you mean, absolutely. But the church is the body of Christ. No, uh, yeah. Where, you know, collectively, the church is— all training any of the saints of whatever age they are. And I'm just saying that a lot of these youth aren't saints, so that's not the focus yep, of the church yep, ministry. Fine. But the other thing is is that the, the, the purpose is for the church to call the 
parents to be doing it, and the church has to be calling the parents to do it. So if you go into a family integrated church and say, that, oh, they have a solution for the problem, and then their solution is not to hold the parents accountable to actually train their children, then it's a big problem because they haven't fulfilled Ephesians 4. And so they end up just shifting it instead of going, no, actually, we're going to hold you accountable. You have to train your children. What are you doing to train your children? Talking about when, when do you actually group youth, right, Rather, regardless of the level of system, systemization of it. It seems to me that you know, there are some good purposes for which to gather youth together. One is that their, their sin is, you know, all of a sudden the hormones kick in and they have sins that are different than they had five years before or two years before. And there can be real places to address those sins that are addressed to those youth. That doesn't mean that you meet together every week and put people in situations where they can act out those sins, which is what youth groups historically have done. I'm not saying all, but they certainly – if you ever have do a, a lock-in, let's be honest. That's I mean, that's like the most horrible thing you can do. The lock-in is like the most insane idea. Let's get a bunch of kids who have their hormones raging and let's lock them into a building. Oh, but we'll keep them in separate rooms. But, of course, well, you have to let them go to the bathroom. Well, you're not keeping them in separate rooms. You're not keeping them separated. You're going to lock them in all night together? I mean, this is like whoever came up with this idea and the parents that accept it. I mean, this is insane. Who would even think of accepting that? But – Churches do it all over the place. Or go away to, to youth camp. Because sleep deprivation is a really good way to manufacture spiritual experiences. You're right. It is. And I remember a church that I went to that they had a youth camp every year. The youth went away to the youth camp, and at least two of them had sex every year. And they don't go, oh, there's a problem with our structure. No, it's like, oh, it was so spiritual. No, it wasn't. But 14 made professions of faith. Right, sure, and you know what I mean, and that's I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, no, I know, and not fourteen in the church. I mean, <laughs> the church that I was going to every year there was at least somebody that got caught in some level of sexual activity, and I don't think any of them made professions of faith. And so, yeah, the whole group, they had some professions of faith. They weren't even running the numbers. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right. They didn't even have the numbers, right? Because I'm guessing the church I went to did not have a higher rate of sexual immorality than the other churches that were being right. sent because we were in a pretty conservative, you know, sequential expository preaching church. But you go and you put children in a situation where they can sin, and instead of confronting them and saying, you know, you're a sinner that needs repentance. Instead, they go, yeah, we'll have pizza because that will attract you. And like you said, when you group the youth to have this particular teaching for them, it's not like you necessarily need to separate them from their parents when you do this teaching. You know what I mean? No. This isn't like, parents, you go over here, we have to say some things to your youth, and you don't need to hear this. I mean, the, the, a lot of times the mothers need to hear this thing about their sons. The fathers need to hear this thing about their sons. You know what I mean? The, the, about their daughters, about who they are. I mean, it's this is part of what Some happens. of it is the fathers and mothers need to hear, your child's not five anymore. Right. Because part of the reason why people are going off and having and they're having these relationships, they're having sexual experiences in places is because people are acting like they, they're acting incredibly ignorant about what youth is. And, I mean, this is kind of an aside, but – it's a worthwhile aside, I think. If you look, there's all kinds of connections that show that somebody who has an experience, that they're much more likely to have a 
affinity, a strong affinity to people in those experiences. So if you manufacture a spiritual experience, you should expect sexual activity with people that were joined in that spiritual experience. That's that's how the it's human the mind works. Cults, right? I mean, it's how right, cults. and it's it's how the human mind works. Is that you have this thing that feels overwhelming to you, and the people that joined in, you feel separate. I mean, this is this is why people go back and meet with their. Their company that they were in Vietnam 50 years later because they were in this this experience together and so that they felt a nearness to them that's different than their nearness that they feel to anybody else. And you think with teenagers that doesn't end up in sexual activity? That's just naive. So the better you are at manufacturing this spiritual experience, the more you get physical experiences. So here's what the church needs to be doing and what parents need to be doing. It was Matthew 9, 11 through 13. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard that, and he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the problem is we go, Oh, the youth want to play basketball. Well, we should have basketball. The youth want to go on a, on a camp. We'll have camping. The youth want pizza. We'll give them pizza. Instead of going... You understand that you're not about serious things. You need to repent. That's a sin to not be productive. You, you want to think you're better than your mother. That's a sin. And until they recognize that they need a physician, until they recognize they need the gospel, they're not going to have a credible professional faith. Jesus Christ came to save those who are sinners and not to save those who think they're right with God. And that's part of it is I think there's, you know, there's this real distinction in, you know, there's a lot of discussions I'll get into that are between Baptists and Presbyterians, and the Baptists are always looking at the Presbyterians and going, you baptize your children so you think they're saved. And the Presbyterians go, we do not. But you go to the Baptist side, and I grew up in the Baptist side, and there's lots of Baptists who treat their children as if they're saved when they have no reason to believe they are. You know what I mean? Like they say, we're credo-Baptists, we're credo, you know, and they believe these things, and they say that you know we're going to we're looking for faith in them, and we're looking for this thing. But then, but then, then they see sin, and they still think it's faith. And and they right, and they see they see selfishness, and they see and they'll go, well, that's just that's just being a teenager. That's just you know. And so in the end, I mean, there's this part of it where, and this is the kind of a theme you said at the beginning that part of this is we have a distaste for the gospel. And I understand that a lot of these things will go and will have the. So we try to we, – we play these – we play this cognitive dissonance. I want to send them to this thing. We want to push them to make a profession for faith. I don't know if they're saved or not. I think they're saved. I believe they're saved. I hope they're saved. I really hope they're saved. I hope – oh, I hope they make a – if they make a profession of faith tonight, that's fantastic. That's all. And so it's like – but we're going to treat them as if they're Christians, so we're going to put them in this environment where they might go off and sneak off and – you know what I mean? It's like it's just all these lies mashed together and – so the church is, I mean, the church needs to see what sin is. The church needs to see sin. The church needs to understand the power of sin. The church needs to stop playing around and pretending like sin isn't what it is because it's destroying these things. It's destroying our nation, and we're watching it happen, and what we're fundamentally interested in is can I, can I keep more kids around, right. not are people actually saved, are people actually going to heaven do they know god and are they doing the work of his kingdom we just want a big flock in the church we don't care if they're sheep or goats and it can't be about numbers right well when you don't care about 
whether they're sheep or goats, all you're caring about is numbers. You just want to see how many people you can get. If all you want is sheep, guess what? You drive off goats. And That's every, the way it works. And you don't drive them off by being cruel to them. You drive them off with kindness. You don't drive them off, right? I mean, it's the the heaping the coals on their head, right? It's not that you go, you shouldn't be here. You're terrible. You're an evil person. Preach the gospel, and the gospel will drive them off. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, and people don't like to get hit by a sword. That discern It's the discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. People don't want that who aren't saved. They don't want to see what their heart's like. And every one of us at this table would say, you know what? We actually think that America would be better if there were more churches, if there were there were more churches, not necessarily more buildings called <laughs> right, right. Churches. If there were more churches, if there were more people who went to church, we, we all think that those things would be good absolutely. if they absolutely also were people who believed God. Right. You know, we we all think that that or would be even good. if the church was preaching the true gospel, that would still have a positive effect. Yeah, if but there were it, a lot of unbelievers going to church, I'd be pretty happy about it's that. It's one of those things where if your aim is numbers, then you start then then you start developing methods to reach those numbers that are not the the same methods that you would use if your aim is the gospel, if your aim is discipleship, if your aim is the worship of God. Yeah, you know, I think it's a, a core thing here is you know just honesty about where people are and not pretending like. You know, the children are someplace, you know, that they're believers when they have no reason to think that they are, you know, because and, and, you know, it's good to have non-believers in the church, even, you know, if, as long as everyone realizes where as, as long as they know where they are and as long as, you know, everyone knows where they are. And I mean, that's not the purpose of the meeting necessarily, but that is it's good for them to be there. It's good to hear the gospel preached. Um, but, you know, like Mike, when I take my kids to church, I'm like, I don't ask them afterwards, like, so, you know, were you interested today? Did you really, you know, was it really catching your attention? Because if not, you know, we can try to make it more interesting for you. Because, you know, they're not, they're young, they're not believers. You don't go that preacher, he's boring. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> and instead you say, these are important things, and you need, you know, as you, you should be learning to love these things. Um but we're not going to try to change from what it should be to make it appealing to it, you as a non-believer. I mean, you're saying a fundamental thing about the church. The church is for believers. Right. The and church. the work of the church, right, is to edify the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's not even saints, actually. I mean, that's not even believers necessarily. That's those who have been cleansed, those who are being sanctified by the church, you're supposed to prepare them, and some of them will get tired of the yoke, and they'll say this is a heavy yoke, and they'll flee because they're unbelievers, and those that are righteous will produce more fruit. And that's that's what the church is supposed to do, though, is to not deal with the unholy, but to, to equip the holy, which is what saints comes from. And and if, you know, people, you know, the, the, the you know, youth are professing faith, um, but they're not living in that way, then it's the role of the church to, to discipline them. And, and so that, you know, they know, and everyone else knows they're not living as a Christian and, you know, potentially, you know, they're, they're not a Christian and they need to be put out of the church. Um, and, you know, and again, doesn't mean that you don't want them to hear the word preached, but that, you know, then people know and they know their, their status. And when you say put out of the church, you mean put out of the group of believing right, from the professed believer, right. not put out of the building that's just a building you don't need to put them out of the building what you need to do is put them out of the group of people that profess christ right because if they're 17 you know their parents can still make them come but right. you know but don't you understand if you do that nobody's going to make professions of faith 
Exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> no, 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 exactly. because they want the numbers, they don't want saints. They don't want the righteous. They don't want. And those when you who say, God understand when you say they want numbers, because there's a part of it where you don't have to be that ambitious in the numbers you want. You, I all mean, the, all the, the only number that you might want is a hundred percent of the teenagers of the parents in the church. My five, my four, and no more. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a part of it where right by numbers, I'm not saying that you're trying to shoot for five thousand. I'm saying you're trying to shoot to keep the children of the people that are currently members of the church. Right. That's probably the most standard number that people want to keep. And I think that's, I mean, because there's this part of it where either the church is interested in God doing his work or the church is interested in them getting what they want. And and, and, that's and so a, then they have a lot of sympathy for the youth that want to get what they want because that's right. what the parents want. And that I mean, and this this is what I mean is it really strikes at because there's this part of it where I look at my children. I mean, there's you want to go, but certainly I can like pray extra hard for my kids, and then I mean they're all going to get saved, right? This isn't unique to the modern church. Look at look at Abraham. Oh God, that Ishmael might stand before you. Right. I mean, Abraham sitting there looking at God, going, who had trained him, right? Because right. God says, "The reason I have called you is so that you will teach your children after you." And right. that was that was earlier than than the point. And where he's I standing there looking at God, going, "Make Ishmael bring, please." And he's pleading with God, and God says, "No." And so there's a part of it where if you're sitting there going. I mean, you're arguing with God. And, I mean, and, and and it's fine to plead with God for your children. Job goes and he offers sacrifices lest his children have done. I mean, it's not wrong to plead for your children, but you don't step a line over that. What if he had went to Ishmael and said, you are, you are the heir. You are the one. You're, you're the son, son of Abraham. Of right. If he had went to him and said afterwards, you know I mean? And this is what happens. This is what you do. This is what you're playing around with. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about how, you know, the state of America. And we should just, you know, God says that he turns people over to homosexuality. He turns people over for lusts that are unnatural. But then he also lists a lot of other things, too. What happens when you don't want to retain God in your knowledge? In Romans 1. 28 through 32, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. How often does that happen in youth group? Wickedness, covetousness, how much does that happen in youth group? Maliciousness, how often does that happen in youth group? Full of envy, how often does that happen in youth group? I've never known of a murder to happen in youth group, but I have known of strife, certainly deceit, Certainly evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, there's never any gossip in youth groups. Yeah, right. Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. One of the reasons that so many parents want to take their children to youth group and join a church that has a good youth group is because they're having trouble controlling their children. They're disobedient to parents, and then we go, oh, this is, youth group is the solution. When all these things are prevalent in youth group, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. 
But instead of saying they're deserving of death, we go, they're in youth group. Not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. And so, I mean, it's a serious problem that the youth group is filled with these things that are very worldly and very a sign that you don't want to retain God in your knowledge. And I'm not disagreeing with you that that's spread throughout the church, because it is. But in youth group, they kind of put people separate, and they try to appease them. So instead of like actually going, you understand that you're exhibiting all these things. Right. How often does a youth group leader deal with gossip in youth group? Well, they're backbiters. That's what God says. And backbiters deserve death. And if your answer is, is okay, fine, we'll just assume that everybody we'll, – we'll set the standard really high for salvation, and we'll just have youth group for people who are unsaved. You're back to the issue that Spurgeon said about Sunday school, right? I mean, you're just you're – just reha- I mean, it's like understand all these things. We've already gone through all these gyrations. What we have now is the product of doing that. What we right. have today – Sunday school took 150 years. We've taken – Right, hundred or eighty years. You know, we've we've just sped up the process, but we're just repeating the process of what happened with Sunday school. Right, and so I think there's this. I mean, there's just this fundamental thing that you have to ask: is what is the church supposed to be about? And stop making it be about different things. And so there is a way to use a youth group where where you do actually cause the youth to hold each other accountable potentially because they see each other in different situations and you call them to hold each other accountable. That's really hard to do unless the parents are holding the youth accountable. Because what youth is going to go and tattle on his friends if his parents don't care if he does the same thing. And so, you know, you can raise standards so that there's a place where you speak to the youth and you go, you know, how do you deal with these things at school where maybe they are targeted towards youth that's more, you know, more special. But not not every week, not all the time, but there's a place to say you know, there are specific situations that you're in, and like somebody said before, not not outside of the sight of the parents. Why would you ever try to cut it off from the parents? And, you know, there could be, you know, like Jonathan was saying before, that, you know, the we're not talking about getting the youth together and reading the works of John Owen. Because, you know, there could be a point where, you know, if you have zealous, you know, young, you know, we'll just say zealous young men in the church who they want to get up, and meet with their friends at six in the morning. Maybe not John Owen, but you know some book. You know they, if they want to get up at six in the morning, and their parents they have to be watching the. You know they have, the other kids are still sleeping. I mean that's not a bad thing to do, but that's not what youth group is. And you know and you know the Bible says that the glory of young men is their strength. If you have a youth group that every Saturday the the, the point of the meeting is let's go out find someone in the community that we can help. That's not. That's not what we're taking issue with. You know, that's that would be a good thing to do. As long, you know, using wisdom and, you know, having the parents, you know, mod- making sure that it's, everything's, you know, being done appropriately and et cetera, et cetera. But the, the point isn't let's, you know, say youth must not get together. That's a bad thing. The point is, you know, that's not what the youth group model is. It's and, to appeal to, is to, you know, let's desperately try to keep the young people in the church and let's try to attract in, you know, unsaved young people and bring them in. And the church does have a problem that they have to solve that is even even in the perfect circumstances of if you have youth who are saved, then you're going to have people who have a particular zeal. They've got high levels of energy, but they also don't have maturity and experience. And so you've got to find a way to use that. You know, you you want that zeal used in the church. You you know, if you've got young men who've got energy to burn, you want them who are using. You want them using that for the work of salvation for the work of the church. 
as soon as possible. You don't want to say, oh, no, 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 you know, you're too young to help. That's that's something for adults to do because that's not what the church is about. The church is about using whatever resources God gives it. And yeah, so a, a couple things there that I want to touch on. Before. And one is, you know, I do know of a case where somebody was teaching Greek and it was almost all youth. There's no problem with that because they were the only ones that had the time to learn Greek and they were willing to get up early and learn Greek and their parents didn't have time to do it. And that's that's a good situation. But the natural call there isn't to call it a youth group, right? I mean. But those things happen, and those are how you get the, the church to move forward forward further in the next generation because you can have the children be so much more advanced than the parents. But it starts with a whole lot of basic things that the parents have already taught before you can take that. And then the other thing I think is that you know the glory of youth is their strength. That's a really important verse. And just like you were saying, Jonathan, is that one of the big problems in churches is you, there's not enough work for people to do because the church isn't doing anything. And so since the church isn't doing anything, the youth don't have any work to do. If you're actually caring for the people in your community, if you were helping the poor, if you were, there's lots of other things you could do where you could have them meet once a week and use their strength. And yes, they'd have to have guidance. Yes, they'd have to have leadership. Yes, they'd have to, you probably want to separate the males and females since that's usually a pretty good idea at that age. And even later. Um, but... <laughs> But the point is, is that if the church isn't doing anything and doesn't think it's supposed to have any impact on the world, then it doesn't have anything for the youth to do. But if the church is actually active and doing work and trying to do things for the kingdom of God, then it's easy to use their strength and it's easy to organize it and say, yes, this is our youth group, which is completely different than the youth groups in the, in the world and what most of the churches is doing in youth group. But, you know, it could be very helpful to go, yeah, we have a group of guys that if if you know there's a, a 80 year old that needs her lawn mowed, we'll get it mowed. You know, if there's somebody that you know, I remember a church that I was in that once a year we'd take a cord of wood to to an elderly woman that was living alone so that she'd have wood for her fireplace. Well, you could do that every day. There's plenty of them. There's no issue with doing that, and you could use that strength. But instead of doing that, if we don't think we're supposed to do anything to the people around, then you can't use that strength, and you end up teaching the youth that they should just waste their strength instead of use their strength. One of the most crucial things that, that the church needs to be teaching and parents need to teach is use your strength while you're young instead of fritter away with foolish things. Right. You know, I mean, this is something that the Bible talks about, Ephesians five fifteen through 16. So then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I mean, so many of the youth groups are not calling calling the, the young people to redeem the time, not to say let's do useful things, just to say let's you know spend time in foolishness and we'll slip a little good stuff in there. I mean, there's, I mean, when you talk about the strength of youth and all those different things and about one of the things is, is if you're thinking about the church as being about both using the resources of the church in a faithful way and encouraging those youth who are saved to be faithful. I mean, one of the things I've thought for years is the only way that the strength of youth really gets used is by faith. I mean, there's a saying, right, that youth is wasted on the young. And when you're young, you don't understand it. <laughs> then you, you know, you turn 30 and you remember being 20. You turn 40 and you go, oh, my goodness, I can't ima- remember how much energy I had when I was 30. And there's Just this- wait, Charles. Wait till you turn 100. Then you'll see what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm saying is at each point along the way, you have a greater appreciation for the strength you had 10 years before. And there's this part of it where what we're actually doing is, is like you said, we're, 
we're squandering it because in the end, the youth are not being used in a faithful way. They're not being used where the church is actually acting in faith. And that is what the, the just shall live by faith. I mean, that this is they walk by faith, not by sight. And so when the church is acting in this way, by necessity, the strength of the youth get used. Proverbs twenty twenty nine says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. And so, why are you laughing? <laughs> I, I, I stopped myself from laughing. <laughs> no, you didn't. Not, not very successfully, Charles. <laughs> Just not verbally. <laughs> we watched the old CSS News video of you the other day at home. <laughs> And I forgot. And I just—I mean, you when, forgot how gray has, no, when I'm you're around someone now. every day, you don't notice kind of transitions. And I, I was like, I was like, Dan, you know, I was like, man, Dan, I had brown hair. And like, yes, I'm just, you, your head is splendid. <laughs> well, I was going to say earlier when you were saying maybe your hair starts this way. I was going to say, well, compared to when we started the podcast, not not really an issue, right. even if it is completely soaked. <laughs> Which is a compliment. So there you go. There you go. But anyway, <laughs> so the glory of young men is their strength. If you just waste it instead of using it for productive things, productive things for their future family, productive things for the church, but productive things, then you're stealing the glory from them. And, and I think the youth groups do that. They spend so much time doing stupid things that have no purpose. And we just need to recognize that we live in a culture where the youth are taught that they have no purpose, they have no reason, which is why you get such a high suicide rate, why you get so many other problems, why you have so many people on, on drugs and you know for nervous disorders and all this other stuff, because we're taught there's no reason for anything, there's no purpose for anything, and so as long and the church doesn't do any better at that than the world does. And, and the glory of young men is their strength. And if you don't use that strength, then you're saying that you have no purpose. You have no use. You have nothing good about you. And it, with all you're trying to do is get them to run up and down a basketball court rather than actually do something productive. Everybody that runs up and down a basketball court, unless they make millions of dollars at it by being in the NBA, everybody else recognizes sooner or later what a waste of time. And so when the church youth group is doing that, and yes, exercise profit a little. I mean, I understand Paul said that. But the reality is that youth spend a lot of time on sports, and it just says that their life doesn't matter. That's what the testimony of that is. You're training them to be adults who are comfortable with being people who don't do anything that matters. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? But people aren't that comfortable with that. Which oh, I is, understand. Which is, I mean, that's the, what, uh, that's the midlife crisis, right? right. Is that that people all of a sudden go, wait a second, I've just, what's life about? Nothing, right? right? I mean, and and that's where our culture is, that we don't have any, we have no purpose. And it's just incredibly sad that the church doesn't do a better job of teaching that there really is a purpose. And if there really is a purpose, then God gave the young men their strength for a reason, and you're supposed to use it. And if you're not using it, you're saying it's purposeless too. Our culture is doing a really bad job of teaching anybody that they have purpose. And even unbelievers are supposed to know that there's a purpose, right? Right from the beginning. Genesis one twenty eight. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the purpose of man. Purpose of man is to glorify God. You know, 
whatever, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do all things for the glory of God. So I'm not saying that believers don't have a higher purpose as well. But every youth can be taught that they have a purpose. Everyone can be taught that they have a reason for being here, and their reason is not to mess around. Their reason is to accomplish things. And when you say that you have no purpose except to kill time, if all your time is for is to be killed, then you're saying you have no purpose. You're useless. You should just be killed yourself. And that's what we're teaching our youth. And that's what youth groups teach our youth. And it's incredibly, incredibly damaging, incredibly hate-filled. And if we don't have our youth do things, if we're not teaching them, hey, you should start taking dominion. That's what you're here for. You have a real purpose in life. It was given to us when it was just Adam and Eve. You have a real purpose. And so get out there and fulfill your purpose instead of just, well, you know, you live and then you die. And we're teaching hopelessness to a generation that's just, I mean, it's very evil. Instead of saying redeem the time because the days are full of evil, we say time has no value. Which takes us back to things we were saying at the very beginning. Do you look at church as a place where you go to consume something that's offered to you? Or do you look at church as a place where you go to be equipped for doing the work of the ministry? Right. And if, you, if you're looking at it a place to consume things, then, then it's no different than movie theaters. And, and you're going, and the methodology you would use to attract people for that is no different than somebody who's trying to get people to come and watch a movie. And, and movie theaters are about manufactured spiritual experiences. Yeah, you know, I mean, in the end, I mean, this is it. You go and see, you know, we're going to have IMAX. We're going to have sound wrapped all around. We're going to do some epic, some spectacle, something. You're going to see it. You're going to have the seats vibrate. Right. Puff out smells so that you can have smell around all the different things they try to do to improve the experience. Right. And at the end, when the credits roll, you'll feel, you know, if it's the right type of movie, you'll feel a sense of wisdom and a sense of, 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 of connection with things greater than yourself that will last with you until the lights turn back on. <laughs> you know what I mean? But or I mean, sometimes even worse longer than that. <laughs> right. And, and there is this, I mean, this is, this is what the church becomes. And I mean, in all the stuff that you're talking about, with the, I mean, there's this part of it where this goes back to what you were talking earlier about the parents have this responsibility to do these things. The par- I mean, this isn't right. – when you're talking about the church teaching them these things, it's not that the church drives the children like individually, that the church goes, we're going to – I mean, in the end, there's already authority structures there in a the church. There, I mean, there can be children in the church who are saved who don't have parents. There can be young men in the church who don't have parents, and there should be people who are willing to go in and say— Essentially a spiritual father. Right. And so, I mean, and 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 that can be—it can be somebody who's in leadership. It doesn't have to be someone in leadership. But in the end, there's already these ways to do these things. But in the end, what the church is saying is, is the parents don't know how to do this. The parents don't have a purpose. They were raised to not have a purpose. So they're telling—so they're looking at their kids going— you know, the church goes, well, we'll we'll fill up their time for you. And and no one's trying to say, how do we solve the problem? How do we bridge no the gap? No one's saying, what can we do because we have the strength? We've got a lot of youth in this church. What can we do with serve this strength? Them. Serve the children. Yes, yeah, serve the children. Let's take the strength from the older people and give it to the young people because the young people have the strength. So that way we should do all the service for the young people. Instead of starting in the home, the father should be going – Okay, my, 
I have extra capacity here. What am I going to use this extra capacity on? I should see if there's things that the church can be doing. I should see if there's other families that need things. I should be making sure that my children, my young men and women that have strength are using that strength and they're using it for the glory of God and they're and they're using it for provision, they're u- whatever whatever they use it for, but meaningful things that have real purpose to them instead of just going, let's kill time with the strength. Let's play sports with it. Let's just wear them down because you know what? When they're not worn down, they're difficult to deal with. So let's just exhaust them instead of going, your time's valuable. Let's figure out a way to use your time to produce value. Work is how most people end up, especially boys, most people end up valuing themselves. And so if you say your work is worthless, they will consider themselves worthless. If you say that to your 15-year-old, that everything you do is worthless, they'll feel worthless. Instead of going, no, you have strength. You can do things. You need to start doing things so that you can help for provision or help with whatever it is. For the sake of the child, you need to do that. Because that's how they get to understand that, no, they have value. They were put here for a purpose. I mean, there's a part of it where as you're talking about these things, I mean, it reminds me of the verse where it says the person who's not righteous, who's not faithful with the unrighteous man and won't be faithful with the righteous man. And there's a part of it where, like you talk about work, and so there's a part of it where teaching your children to do work and teaching them just to be productive. And when you're saying productive, I mean profitable. I mean, it could right, be, it could be they could make work. I mean, at, at a minimum, teach them things they can do to make money. And, and, and then from the church's perspective, the unrighteous man, or, you know, the unrighteous man is just money. But the church's perspective is there are things that you actually do that have more value than just money. Right. And, and not, not like we're going to do these immaterial things that have this spiritual value and you can't see it anywhere. You know what I mean? It's like, no, these are things that have real value, but the reason they have value is because they're not things that, that, moth can, that moths can eat or that rust can corrupt or that thieves can break in and steal. It's because it has value. You can actually, it is still tangible things. They're still real things that you're doing in the world. And so this is part of it where what it means for the church when it says to think about the kingdom. And this is, you can see this in Matthew 6, 32-33. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And so there is this part of it where if you, if you are a Christian, you understand that there are greater things to seek after and that God will bring these other things. But these other things, again, it's not like you just spend all your time just, all you do is just pray, and when you open your eyes, there's money beside you. It's not you just read your Bible, and, and in between the pages as you turn through the Bible, money appears in the Bible. It's that God directs you to do work and directs you to do things in the world, and God will take care. You don't have to go like the financial gurus and say everything is about money. and do, are you, is, is everything you do going to put money in your pocket? That is not what your fundamental desire should be. And when you think about youth, youth can do a lot to help those who are poor, those who are suffering, those who – widows you know they can yeah there's a lot of physical things that have spiritual effects right Right. because it has a testimony of the love of god how how he is the husband of the widow he's the father of the fatherless cares for the poor and those are real spiritual testimonies that you can accomplish through physical labor so when it says seek first the kingdom of god we shouldn't think that it all has to be you go preach no, the person who goes and, and cuts wood for a widow 
They're seeking the kingdom of God. They're testifying to the nature of the kingdom of God. And, and you know, the youth have the strength to do those things. And let's, so many churches just waste it. And let's be specific. When the saved father tells his unsaved son to go cut wood for the widow, the unsaved son may not be – he may just be doing it because his father said to – and he's been taught to obey his father, and he believes his father that this is worth doing, he may not have any desire to seek the kingdom of God. The father is using the resource right. that God has given him to seek the kingdom of God. And so, and, and he's also valuing his son's time because, I mean, when you, this is the barrier between, like, children and adults, is that how many things do you send your children to do that you have to go back and completely redo it for them? is that you can actually send them to do something, and when they do it, it's useful, right? I mean, if you're going to send it over to somebody else's house to cut wood when for them. When they're five, you have to do it again, but you, the whole point is to train them so you can stop doing it again. Right, and so all of a sudden, this father has a greater capacity to be a blessing to someone else because he doesn't have to go over there and cut the wood. He can go, he can go to somebody else's house and cut wood. It's not even that he's not willing to use his strength in that way, but he's got someone who's got a lot more energy than he does. And he can really use that, and it really is for the kingdom. Yeah, we've we've made fun of like having pizza parties and stuff, but hey, it, it's like so substantially different if you just spent five hours laboring to then sit down and have a meal together, than it is to say, "Hey, come have pizza and watch a movie." The two are like night and day difference. The issue isn't eating together. The issue is why are you eating together? Is this to be the attraction, or is this to be the, the hey, we've, we've accomplished something for God together. We've done something useful together, and we need to replenish our strength. The two are, like, completely different, and it's important to recognize that the issue is what are you attracting people with. If you go, well, if we make them work, they'll never come. Well, that's good. That's good to know where they stand instead of going, well, you know, we think they're so holy, but they won't do anything for the kingdom of God. Well, then you're just pretending like you don't know where they stand. In America, we think youth have no value. In the church, we treat them like they have no value. They're made in the image of God, and as image bearers of God, they have the responsibility to work, to take dominion, to do useful things. The church needs to start treating youth like they actually have value. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.